Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Security Token Show, episode 35. My name is Kyle Sondland, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig Koenigs. Hey, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank all our returning listeners and welcome all our new ones. And also take a quick pause and say, you know, our thoughts and prayers are out there with everybody who's being affected by this COVID-19 coronavirus uh, epidemic, and for sure, hopefully everyone's able to navigate these new choppy waters that we're all dealing with. But with that, we're excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about how digital securities speed up markets, especially given all this crazy market trading that's been happening in the last few weeks. But before we do, for those of you who are new to the show, we like to kick off the show with our Companies of the Week segment, followed by industry news from the last week, the newest STOs and updates from the last week as well, and of course, a market activity report. So, Kyle, tell me, who is your Company of the Week? Well, my Company of the Week for episode 35 is Provenance. And Provenance is a blockchain for securitized assets backed by a well-known lender called Figure, which we've talked about many times before on the podcast. And they made headlines this week for completing the securitization and issuance of $150 million in bonds in a collaboration with a consortium of other firms that includes Figure Technologies, Jeffries Group, Nomura Securities, and Tilden Park Capital. The bonds, which are HELOC loans, which stands for Home Equity Line of Credit, were issued by Figure onto the Providence blockchain and were just announced this week. And so essentially, Figure issues these loans, which are home equity line of credits, where you can get a line of credit or a debt, um, you can get money from them, in backed by your home and, and the equity you have in the house that you have. And then Providence is the blockchain that they're actually issuing on in these fully tokenized offerings. And Figure has been our company of the week before, and we certainly love talking about all the fantastic things that CEO Mike Cagney is doing in the securitized lending space. But I wanted to make sure that the Providence team also received recognition for their role in the process for providing secure technology layer that supports the underpinned securities. The company launched a subsidiary as, as a subsidiary of Figure in 2018, but in 2019 actually emancipated from its parent company, conducting its own $20 million private security token sale, and is moving towards independent management. However, Cagney is still the CEO of both firms, but they are separate businesses at this time. And this is super exciting because they've actually launched a full $150 million debt issuance. They've raised the capital and they've issued these debt offerings onto the Providence blockchain. And so I had a great quote from Sunil Patel, who's the managing director of one of the firms involved, Nomura Securities International. And he stated, Nomura is proud to have been a lead underwriter on Figure's inaugural securitization on Providence. Providence is leading the way toward creating a more accessible securitization market one where smaller issuers may securitize assets at a lower cost than the traditional model. And it's fantastic to see this loan set go live. 
I'm really excited to see the extent at which it is available to the public, both in terms of access to lending as well as access to investing in this tokenized debt. So congrats again to Mike Cagney and the Providence team for a huge institutional win this week. Congratulations to Nomura Securities, Tilden Park Capital, and Jeffrey's group for being involved, being interested in, in making the jump into the tokenized space. And I'm very excited to see how this thing progresses moving forward and, and how they can scale this operation to potentially billions of dollars, even by the end of 2020. It will no doubt scale to that level. Anyone who has been listening to the show from the very beginning knows that I'm a huge Mike Cagney fan and what they're doing over at Figure and Providence. You know, he's gone on to say that they see up to 300 basis points in value savings across the lending and securitization chain. They have been one of the first movers into this space and one of the most institutional. They've raised over a billion dollars in debt. They've issued already a quarter, three quarters of a billion on loans. And so this is this is actually just a small securitization. I expect to see many more uh, and I expect to see many more great things from, from the team uh, at Providence there. So great choice, Kyle. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm really, really, really excited to see how they can scale. And uh, definitely the Providence team deserves plenty of credit. Moving on to episode 35, Company of the Week, for you, Herwig, who caught your eye this week? Well, last week I threw us on a loop and I chose a person, specifically a politician, and this week I'm actually going to choose a regulator. And that's because there was a regulator that, that made a move last week that really caught everybody's attention. It caused a series of articles to make the rounds. And I'm talking about France's Financial Markets Authority, or the AMF, over there, which recently called for a European-wide sandbox for digital securities. So France has always long been seen as a pro-blockchain region. They've implemented several frameworks around crypto already. They have a lot of legislation that's very active around blockchain technology. And based on an earlier analysis by the regulator, they assessed that the current market infrastructure for fundraising today won't work for tokenized securities. Instead, they want to create a digital lab that allows companies to skip the traditional MIFID and CSDR requirements and instead allow companies this new environment to thrive, of course, with continued overwatch from EU regulators. The AMF president, Robert Ophele, said that, quote, we are faced with a chicken and egg paradox. The space cannot develop under the current framework, but without documentation, new frameworks cannot evolve either. So that's where the purpose of the digital lab would come in. It would run for three years to collect data and offer an environment for projects to succeed. And of course, all in order to properly evolve the current market frameworks upon the completion of the program. He went on to say specifically that, quote, blockchain can contribute to a profound transformation of the functioning of financial services by reducing the cost of intermediation and speeding up processing. The European Union cannot afford to miss it. A pretty big statement coming from one of the presidents of the one of the major countries regulating bodies for securities. The article on CoinDesk does acknowledge that the press offices for Germany's, Italy's, Austria's, Ireland's, and Finland's respective securities regulators did not immediately respond to requests for comment, and neither did the European Securities and Markets Authority, which is considered to be the top securities watchdog for the European Union. But I want to give a huge shout out to France's AMF for recognizing the power of blockchain technology for financial markets and, of course, identifying that the frameworks of today won't suffice for the 
future world of tomorrow. A digital lab would enable a lot of innovation in the space, as we've already seen in a similar setups in the UK, Canada, and Singapore with their respective sandboxes, and, and I think quite successfully. So definitely, for me, they've earned the title of Regulator of the Week, and hopefully fellow regulators in the region react positively to the pro- proposal. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. Yeah, this is another huge win for the space in terms of finding another jurisdiction that is open to innovation and looking to help build the industry moving forward. Because the reality is that there are so many benefits for for the people and for the financial sector in leveraging these technologies, many of which we'll discuss later in this episode. But the key is going to be working and collaborating with regulators and and with all the different pieces. And so as as supportive as, as they are in in building that dialogue and continuing that conversation, I think the more important it will be for the development of this industry. Well, even more so, Kyle, if Europe is able to unite under a new framework, because we've talked about it a lot on the show, many different countries throughout Europe have already passed their own legislation defining crypto securities or security tokens, etc. So to have a uniform framework or approach or, or sandbox that everybody can use across the European Union is a, definitely a powerful thing that could even give them a leg up on the U.S. if the, if the U.S. fails to adapt as well. And with that, I think we're going to jump right into our new segment. You know, we're already on the topic of law and regulation. And last week, I want to bring up the fact that I nominated Representative Paul Goshar for introducing the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 bill to the House. Now, specifically, I, I wanted to bring attention to this because it brought you know a focus on defining digital assets to help create legitimacy for the industry here in the U.S., which is to me a much needed validation both for investors and entrepreneurs who are active or at least watching on the sidelines. So unfortunately or fortunately regarding this bill, it created a lot of criticism from the industry and politicians. The bill likely won't see the light of day due to some fatal flaws with the bill itself as well as how it was introduced. I mentioned earlier last week that already they didn't have any sponsors, which was unusual. But even more so, Representative Goshar is not actually a member of any of the related House committees, the most obvious one being the Financial Services Committee. So it's likely that this alone will already cause the bill to get little traction. However, further criticism came out specifically saying that the bill was not up to snuff when it came to properly defining the various digital asset types and how they should be regulated. So for those of you who are not familiar with it, you know, the broad strokes of it are that they split it up into three categories, digital assets, into crypto securities, crypto commodities, and cryptocurrencies, and gave rather broad definitions for all three and assigned you know, what would be presumed regulators to, to enforce these new digital assets. But due to it being so broad, it actually had a lot of flaws. Just as an example, since all tokenized debt and equity would be overseen by the SEC according to the bill, that would make the SEC now responsible for overseeing mortgages, which is something that traditionally is left to state and federal banks and regulators, and as pointed out by, you know, which was pointed out by Tokensoft's general counsel, Lawson Baker. So definitely industry criticism there regarding the bill itself and and how it can be improved. 
So I don't think it'll have any real momentum, but my hope is that this creates renewed interest in the topic, which may result, of course, in an improved version of the bill or you know, new bills altogether to be introduced. Because otherwise, the only way we're going to look at change here in the U.S. is directly from the regulators themselves. So, you know, We have seen some activity like SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce's proposal to create a safe harbor for crypto projects. And, you know, other critics are also saying that the regulators are better, you know, adept for this. They have also been working in the last couple of weeks to try and improve and harmonize the framework uh, for private exemptions here in the U.S. And there's been a lot of good details there. But, of course, that needs to also uh, come into effect, which may not even be the end of this year. So. I personally am very optimistic about legislation coming through. For example, the Jobs Act of 2012 did a lot for capital markets and the digital securities industry here in the U.S., and that you know, was completely done unanimously in Congress. So I really hope that we see some kind of new, renewed interest around the topic, and otherwise we're just going to have to wait for more news from our, our friendly regulators. Next up, we also have some pretty big news from one of the exchange conglomerates of the world, the Japan Exchange Group, which, for those of you who don't know, owns the Tokyo Stock Exchange. The company announced that it will start a trial to improve the accuracy and efficiency of post-trade processing, which includes approving the transaction, updating ownership records, the payment, and delivery of the security. They acknowledge that blockchain technology can mitigate a lot of errors and speed up the efficiency of its exchange. Official partners are not yet confirmed, but the program is part of its 44-member alliance, which includes BNP Paribas, Citigroup, HSBC, and Goldman Sachs, as well as most major Japanese institutions. So based on how we've seen many other global and national exchanges explore blockchain since 2018, I'd say it's pretty easy to assume that by the end of the year, most major exchange companies will be exploring or trialing something similar, or they may find themselves far behind the curve trying to catch up to the new digital infrastructure for exchanges around the world. And speaking about Japan, Securitize, which was invested in by Japanese firms Sony, MUFG, and SBI, and also acquired Boodle, B-U-I-D-L, last year to expand its STO consulting footprint in Japan, has announced last week that Securitize is now partnered with the LIFUL platform, L-I-F-U-L-L, to issue tokenized real estate securities in Japan. The move by Securitize is intended to provide a means for investors to crowdfund real estate in less desirable locations of Japan, of which the platform said will focus on abandoned or disused properties and then renovating them, of course, in order to increase the real estate value. Securitize CEO and founder Carlos Domingo said the following, quote, our collaborative success in creating a comprehensive platform solution for crowdfunded real estate funds is very exciting, and it is a great start for Securitize and Lifeful as we work to modernize the Japanese real estate market together. So uh, very exciting. You know, We have seen the Japanese STO ecosystem come together very quickly over the last six to nine months with Securitize really leading that charge. And we even mentioned on the podcast last week, the CEO of SBI announced plans to launch a security token exchange in the region later this year, really completing the full infrastructure needed for, for that ecosystem to develop. 
But coming back over to the U.S., we've also seen Securitize be very active as well, as they were recently chosen by Stonegate Global Fund Administration in order to deploy services to establish and administer digital asset investment fund products. Stonegate CEO John McCorvey said that digital securitization creates secondary markets and real-time liquidity for assets which are otherwise highly liquid, longer-duration investments. Layering the digital securitization process onto traditionally illiquid investment products also provides far more market transparency and price discovery for assets. This is actually pretty big news as many fund administration firms have been watching the space and the technology very closely, but many have yet to step in. Now Stonegate is proudly and loudly planning to evolve with the technology and the trends, in this case specifically with Securitize, a very exciting partnership. I'm excited to see what uh, investment fund products Stonegate and Securitize put out. But Securitize is not the only busy player in the space last week. Austin, Texas-based issuer platform Vertalo has announced that they are tokenizing 22 different securities on the Tezos blockchain worth over $200 million. They've partnered with Dealbox to provide the tokenization technology to their issuers on the investment platform. And according to this news, this now more than doubles the client base using the Vertalo platform, which was at a total of 18 in January. I'd say that's some pretty rapid growth and marks a fresh set of new digital securities to invest in. Kyle, I'm sure, will be doing some digging to learn more about them and share some more info later in, in a future show once he gets it. Yeah, congratulations to Dealbox and to Vertalo for that. I know that the Dealbox has worked with a few issuance platforms in the past, so they're certainly familiar with the security token space, and we know Vertalo well, so hopefully that partnership can be successful, and $200 million is nothing to joke about. No, definitely not. Uh, always great to see more and more digital securities enter the space. And over on in the UK, we saw issuance platform Smartlands win an award for the best crowdfunding platform by the Fintech Breakthrough Awards, which recognized Smartlands for being a top company and product in the financial services and technology industry today, no doubt for their progressive work in the security token space and issuing several STOs to date already. Awards are always great recognition and validation, so congrats to the Smartlands team for that recent award. And we also saw another market report released this week, this time by DataBridge Market Research. Unfortunately, this information comes with a bit of a paywall, minimum of a $4,800 license, so I didn't download this one myself. The title claims that the tokenization industry does, however, will compound at an annual growth rate, a compound annual growth rate of 22.45% from 2019 to 2026, which is a really great uh, CAGR, as well as the fact that it may reach up to $4.4 trillion in total market size. So definitely some interesting statistics. It seems to be geared way more for for enterprise. But if anyone gives this report a download, please reach out. Please let me know your thoughts on it. It does look like it could be very interesting. And I think this is a good time to, to take a pause and let everybody know listening that any of the articles, events, information that we discuss on the show can be found actually in the description of wherever you're listening to or directly from the source at stomarket.com. So Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the upcoming events in the industry? Great work, Kerwig. As always, killing it on the industry news section. We, we definitely didn't take any breaks with new announcements and awesome stuff this week. Moving into the events, 
we do have a virtual conference on March 25th. Everybody is, is bunkered down trying to, to self-quarantine a little bit. Unfortunately, you don't have to go without security tokens. We have a tokenizing real estate virtual conference and online networking event hosted by Expanse and Startup Agora. That's going to be on March 25th at 2.30 p.m. EST, Eastern Time, of course. And by attending this conference, they noted on their site that they hope attendees will both learn how tokenization works as well as understand the business opportunities in the space with an additional segment on networking and building connections with other interested professionals. So this is a great opportunity for you to stay up to date on what tokenization in real estate really looks like and how that might affect your specific jurisdiction or area. And, and potentially even meet people that, that you can work with or collaborate with in the future. So definitely one to check out for sure. We also have the Securities Finance Technology Symposium 2020 on May 7th in London. We've mentioned this one before. I wanted to give that reminder that it will also it will still be going on. They, they made a note on their website that it's pending based off of how the response to you know global travel works. Maybe they postpone it for a month or two and let some of the macro events blow over potentially, but they actually are, are fully moving forward as of today, as of now, it will be going on May 7th in London, the Securities Finance Technology Symposium 2020. Finally, we also have Security Token Realized this San Francisco event, which will be on May 28th. We've covered San Francisco Realized before. They, they did an event in London in which they gave out a lot of great awards STO Market was a finalist, actually, for the biggest adoption of securities event there. So that was fantastic. We really appreciate the recognition there. And they're hosting another event on May 28th in San Francisco. Definitely check that out if you're in the area. Any of these links, as Herwig mentioned, are in the description or can be found at stomarket.com slash news. Great to see conferences go virtual in this time so that we can still participate and move the industry forward. And hopefully we got some, some great events in the future there, it looks like, that hopefully won't get canceled as we, as we pass through this viral epidemic. But Kyle, you are the CEO of Security Token Market. You're super plugged in. You know everything that's going on when it comes to the latest STOs as well as what's happening in the market. So tell us what, what's going on. Yeah, well, we have one new security token offering this week. We had six or seven last week. So if you're interested in hearing more about STOs, listen to this one and then maybe check out the last episode. I think we covered three or four European real estate projects. We had a national digital currency and, and many other great offerings that were super interesting. It was a jam-packed week last week. That was episode 34. This week, we have a very interesting security token offering, Harwick. I mean, we've talked about before how this industry really can open up new investment opportunities in companies or, or avenues that, that we would have never considered before and, and never potentially had access to that are successful and, and positive cash flow businesses. And so this one actually comes from Germany. We're talking about Park and Go, which serves 2.7 million customers across nine different European countries, and it's an airport parking business. And so the German regulatory body, Bafin, approved a cross-border security token offering from Park and Go, allowing them to raise capital from accredited and retail investors in 21 of the 27 EU member states, and it's allowing them to launch this as a full blockchain-backed security token. 
And so the system also permits them to have secondary transactions with all of the rights attached to the digital asset. So as we talked about in the past, this is not just a, a kind of a, a security token just to track the transactions that's launched with a, a real paper asset as well. We've talked about that, like kind of a hybrid or halfway security token sometimes in debt offerings. This is a full security token, fully approved by German regulators with an eye towards secondary trading for a business with 2.7 million customers. So it's pretty exciting. They're going to launch their token on the Luxembourg-based issuance platform Stalker, S-T-O-K-R. As I mentioned, it will be for retail and accredited investors, which just seems like a trend there in Europe. So they're really looking to involve and include all investors of all types, which is fantastic. The ticker is going to be GOTS, and it will be issued as an ERC-20 Ethereum-based token, which is great news for interoperability with all of the other previous infrastructure we've already built. And unfortunately, I don't have a timetable regarding its launch in terms of its public launch, but you can sign up to find out more information on their website. I certainly know that I have, and you'll hear all of that in coming episodes. If you want to sign up for the newsletter, definitely check out parkandgo.com slash STO. Wow, what a great STO, Kyle. You know, first of all, Germany seems to be very active, as you pointed out. But second of all, this is you know a, a European Union-wide uh, offering, both for retail and non-accredited investors. They, as you mentioned, have 2.7 million customers, many of which may be interested in participating in the offering. And it, it's a very unique offering. There's you know anyone who's gone to the airport and parked there knows it's extremely expensive. So services like Park and Go fill that need, and definitely probably isn't likely big enough to to perhaps go public. But definitely big enough for, for them to reach out to customers and interested investors and participate in a security token offering. So I wish them the best of luck. Definitely eager to, to see the update on this one in the future. Absolutely. Very, very exciting stuff. And moving into the market update where we cover all of the action from the secondary space and what's going on with the live issued security tokens. As always, just like the news that we've covered all week you can find all of the pricing data that gets updated programmatically and hourly on stomarket.com as well. All nine live tokens from as many jurisdictions as we can find. We're continuously updating that list as we can get more and more data access. So definitely go check that out at any point in time to find out how these prices are performing. But just as a recap over the last week, our total market cap is down about 15 to 20% to $47 million from 55 last week. And while obviously that's not ideal, it's certainly to be expected because the crazy market conditions across every industry because of, of the self-quarantining and a lot of this stuff around the world certainly has had an effect on our market as well, which is to be expected. That means that it's, it's just it's healthy. It's, it's following general trends, but hopefully it will be able to rebound. When we look at the breakdown of, of where that came from, T0 followed the traditional market performance pretty much to a T, and it's begun a little bit of a slide. The shares are now down to around $1.10 from maybe $1.40 last week. But there was a peculiar piece of it from Monday, Monday, March 16th, which is the final day we, we try to get all of our data in before we record to obviously publish it Tuesday morning. And... It was interesting because as of Monday, and this wasn't at market close, so the, the prices could have changed slightly, 
but the trading volume was only 52 US dollars, which is the lowest trading day in T0's history at that time. And it had never traded below $300 in, in volume on a day, even at, at its launch. And it's actually the first time under 1000 since 2019. In addition, across 2020, since they've opened full trading to retail investors, we've seen it pretty much average over $10,000 in volume. So finding this total investor apathy is, is very, very interesting. I'm not necessarily sure what to make of it yet. We'll need a couple more days of data. Certainly, we'll pay attention this week and cover it in thir- episode 36. But very interesting to see that there was investor apathy today and not necessarily a mass sell-off in the worst day in U.S stock market history. So very interesting to watch and see how that progresses over this week, if it continues to begin its decline, or if the investors that are currently holding are are fine with just holding where they're at and they're just not interested in buying yet. Looking at other tokens, we have Blockchain Capital and Lottery.com, which both had additional sell-offs this week. The BCAP token saw about a $5,000 sell-off. And has now actually fallen behind Spice VC into the third spot for the highest market cap in the industry. So just as a recap, as of Monday, March 16th, the order looks like T0, number one largest buy market cap, then Spice VC, then Blockchain Capital, Lottery.com, 22X, Protos Fund, and then finally the three real estate tokens issued by Realty. And on the real estate front, Monday actually was a great day for a few of those properties, which over the week had mirrored traditional markets and begun to slide. But today, as of Monday, Fullerton, the apartment complex, is actually up 26%, and Marlowe Street is up 15%. And so that's not even considering the fact that these tokens are actually paying a double-digit dividend that gets paid daily. So for many of these investors, they're receiving double-digit equity returns and double-digit coupons for their investment. That's a really fantastic and fascinating observation to see because it shows that potentially investors are excited in getting that that rental income and investing in a a hard asset to potentially park some of their cash in instead of putting it in equities or something like that, which really had a, a tough week this week. Fascinating, Kyle. You know, it's it's interesting to see, you know, equities mirror the the public market, but uh, also to see the real estate tokens take such a jump during this time. It's definitely no coincidence, I think. Uh, and I think that's a great segue into our main topic. You know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to compare here is if we were to look at public markets more than ever today, retail investors are able to participate. It's digitally accessible. And the exchanges are mostly built on electronic trading at this point. And so you see extremely volatile markets recently because everybody is trading, of course, due to the coronavirus epidemic across the world. And we think that by analyzing this, we actually think we can learn a lot for digital securities in the future, both for private and public markets. Uh, In fact, we think that perhaps the private markets will elicit similar behavior in the future when digital securities are more prominent uh, and are able to share those same characteristics and trait as publicly listed securities. So with that, you know, I think it's a great idea for us to cover a segment on how we see digital securities speeding up and making uh, both private and public markets more efficient as a whole. Uh, so maybe, Kyle, why don't you kick us off on how you see that? Yeah, so there's a couple ways that we can look at how to speed up 
the digital securities and or how digital securities speed up markets rather. And and so really the what we're looking at is removing friction, and that can that can result in two potential benefits. One being it saves money, and one being that it speeds up the process with literally with time. It saves time, and so both of those things are crucial, especially for financial institutions to save money as well as to speed up the process which also can help save money. It also allows them to scale their operation even more effectively. So when we're talking about removing fr- friction, this is slightly more intuitive with a lot of these early cases. The first one being transferring asset information across multiple third parties. right? So if you have a security in a specific jurisdiction, they're going to need to transfer, transfer all the information regarding what the underlying security is and what the information of that asset is to all of the different intermediaries along the way. So that requires a lot of hand-holding, right, in terms of sending all this information, all the documentation, all the, the filing regulations, and all of that stuff from one person to another. So by leveraging that through the blockchain technology, it makes it much easier to send that information across, and it also makes it much easier for the other parties to verify that that information is correct and, and that this hasn't been altered in any way. Additionally, another huge one is, is onboarding investors, right? Being able to make sure that we've properly done the right KYC, AML, and accreditation checks for a specific investor in their jurisdiction. Now, it's a lot less requiring on the centralized third party to manage that process and make sure that it's done compliantly. Instead, by leveraging distributed ledger and digital securities, they can actually just transfer that information systematically. But the the biggest one that we want to talk about today, the one that saves the most money and the one that certainly speeds up the markets most effectively, is integrating the technology layers. And so when we talk about that, really what I'm talking about is regarding progr- programmatic settlement via smart contracts. And so first, let's, let's go through what that means. So in terms of a traditional financial sector, we, we have the clearing and settlement piece of a financial transaction. And so essentially when we have two parties, let's say an issuer or somebody with an asset, and we have an investor or a broker, somebody with the money. When these two parties want to make this transaction between each other, both are taking on risk that the other person is not going to send their fair share of the deal, right? The issuer doesn't want to issue their security or their stock without getting their money first, and vice versa. The investor doesn't want to send their money and not get the asset that they paid for. So the solution was to create a centralized third party that would do what's called clearing and settlement. And so they would clear the trade and then they would settle the trade on the other side and they would be that third party where the issuer could send the money to or the issuer could send the asset to and the investor could send the money to. Once both of those things were confirmed by the clearing and settlement third party, then the, that, that transaction would be confirmed and then the, the, each side would get their respective good. And so this is, this is a traditional process. Obviously, we need this because we, we needed to find a way around solving that trust problem. And they actually, this process was very similar to what we've seen in, in assets like Bitcoin with its consensus mechanism through mining. What happens with these centralized organizations is that they actually do blocks of transactions and then settle them all together. So they may collect tens, thousands, or potentially more trades at any one time and then try to settle all of those transactions in one go. That way it makes it much more efficient for them because they can collect a bunch of trades, just quick clear them all, and then collect more trades and then quick clear them all. So it's more efficient for the third party to be able to get this done in a cost-effective manner, but it's not always the most ideal solution for 
the two parties, the issuer and the investor, because they actually have to wait in that time period while the third party is collecting other people's transactions. And so this bulk um, process is actually not not as effective as an automatic clearance, which would just kind of take care of, of all this stuff immediately once the issuer and investor participated and engaged in a contract. And so that's what we can actually start to build with smart contract construction. And so smart contracts really are just a series of very, very complicated if-then statements. So we're essentially saying if an issuer sends us a specific asset, or spends us a specific asset, and if an investor sends us a specific amount of money, and if the issuer and the investor agree on that specific price for that specific asset, then we send the money to the issuer and send the money, or send the asset rather, to the investor. And so it essentially is just a, a very complicated if-then statement that does exactly what that centralized clearinghouse might have spent most of their time doing. Now, it can be created by that centralized issuance platform or, or by something else as well. But this removes a lot of that counterparty risk of the payment failing after the transfer of the stocks and is therefore much more efficient, right? Because the issuer themselves doesn't actually have to send that, that asset until after the funds have been received in an escrow account to be confirmed that that money's there. And then on the other side, the investor doesn't need to pay without seeing that the asset is in a specific escrow wallet that doesn't get unlocked until after they pay. And so both sides can be sure before they actually issue or sell or risk any of their asset, they can actually see that the other side has been confirmed and therefore they don't have to feel like they're getting defrauded or risked without having to spend that extra money on someone taking their cut. It also reduces delivery versus payment times. And this is a really common figure to look at in, in the traditional settlement and clearing sector. And the traditional settlement time for a public stock is two days. So essentially what that means is that a cl- the intermediary third party does not need to settle the transaction for two days following the actual transaction and when it was agreed upon. And so maybe when you go on TD Ameritrade and you buy a stock, you buy it, you click it, and 10 minutes later it gets executed and sent to you. But that's actually just a front layer. That's the electronic layer. And you actually don't know whether that's fully been secured and settled or not yet. That's, that's up to the brokerage, that's up to the different assets and how, how much opportunity they have and how many of those assets they have in reserve. So because of the fact that we have up to a two-day settlement period, we actually have very complicated derivative ladders that can be very confusing for brokerage firms because what they'll do is they'll, you'll, you'll buy a security, but then they'll actually short your security for you without putting the risk on you. They take the risk, but then they can actually short and long uh, one asset like three, four, five, or more times so that it's actually technically owned by many different people. But when you don't settle those transactions immediately, now you have to settle specific transactions that don't technically exist because you've already lent these things out and created derivative products. And I don't know if you followed that at all, but as you can hear, it can get very complicated, especially once you start to incorporate all these derivative products and reassigning ownership behind the scenes. It can be very complicated and it can become quite an issue if this process isn't handled automatically because you take the risk of someone making a mistake or, or some human error, which could really have serious issues.
So programmatic integration here is going to be a crucial piece to be able to settle these things automatically and track on the ledger exactly who owns what so that you can literally just go in and check, especially from a third party, even if it's a private blockchain or something like that, they can go in and check exactly who owns what and they don't need to be there to actually facilitate every specific transaction. And so... This process also includes the electronic money transfer and the transfer of assets from one custody provider to another, all of which take time and have added fees and are much less preferred to the cheap gas fees on a distributed ledger technology system. And so this is traditionally managed by a custody participant or a transfer agent, but the programmatic integration into this piece of the financial system allows for cost savings on the basis point per transaction level in addition to much faster settlement times. Because really we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more, that are happening each and every day in the markets. And if you can save just 5, 10, 20 basis points on each of those transactions, you're talking about so much cost savings for those banks and those institutions just by leveraging this technology. And then on top of that, by adding automatic integration and programmatic settlement, you're talking about a much quicker process that not only happens immediately due to the execution of the contract, but it also happens much faster because we're leveraging technology to settle these things instead of relying on human input. So in both ways, it makes this, this market much quicker, much more efficient, and can save so much money for everybody. And so it doesn't come without its own set of challenges, which include the risk of the soundness of the smart contract, which makes sense, right? We need to make sure that the contracts we're building don't fail, right? That they're, they're bulletproof and can handle trillions of dollars of assets being exchanged on that specific set of code which again highlights the value of sandboxes with regulators. It highlights the value in testing these things for large financial institutions that have the resources to be able to test these things without launching. It also highlights the impact of the important conversations that we need to have between the innovators and the startups, as well as the institutions and the enterprises, and then finally the regulators. We all need to be in communication, all need to be working together to build a system that can work well because in this in the situation where this goes live and it works for everybody, everyone saves money, everyone saves time. It's easier for regulators to po to policy. It's easier for institutions to settle these things, make more money, and it's obviously helpful for the innovators who are able to expand into new opportunities and build the industry even larger. And so there's there's some risk there in terms of the smart contract. The other piece of risk I think is important to note is there's displaced clearing risk due to the lack of liquidity without the, the traditional bulk settlement. So that bulk settlement I was talking about earlier where they collect all those transactions and settle them all at one given time is known as netting. And that's important because let's say I buy a million dollars worth of assets and I sell 500,000 of the same asset. Technically, I, they only need to clear 500,000 since I netted out 500K in what I sold. And so... I don't need to have a million in liquidity. I only need to have 500,000 in liquidity. And so that's a lot of times the benefits of netting is that they can actually reduce some of the liquidity concerns or costs for these large brokers. With automatic settlement, if I put in a trade for a million, I'd need a million 
in liquidity, and then I would get that five hundred thousand back. So it can it can cause some risk there in terms of, of liquidity risk, but that's something that we would just need to make an adjustment for, and I don't think would actually affect a whole lot because those short term lines of credit for these huge brokerage firms is is very easy as well. They could absolutely do that without any issue. So that was one that I'm not super concerned about, but it is super important to mention because that is it's a displaced risk from what we've already talked about with that netting process. And that, with that, Herwig, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of improved efficiencies in the market. We're really talking about settlement and clearance and how that can be leveraged and built by, by distributed ledger technology. You know, you really highlighted the ecosystem, you know, that's been built today and specifically how blockchain technology and smart contracts are going to improve the markets themselves, even highlighting in some very technical and detailed examples. So I'm sure hopefully our listeners appreciated that. But I'm going to try and summarize a little bit here to, to try and make it a little bit more anecdotal, which is, you know, as you pointed out, we spent 100 plus years with the SEC and markets to form and you know the public markets to become both efficient as well as balanced with investor protections. And this is why we've seen the need for additional intermediaries every step of the way, whether it's from compliance, whether it's from custody, whether it's from a governance perspective, or whether it's from the actual function of clearing and settlement. All of this is correlated and all of this is one big transactions with many, many transactions associated, many transactions to check the compliance, and many transactions to approve the transfer, to update the ownership records, etc. And by using digital securities infrastructure, we can take the very manual and let's call it bulky process that has been created for the public markets and now bring that completely digital and online, which is a, a incredible disruption and even more so not just for public markets, but also for private markets because they can leverage the exact same technology. And as a result, we may see very fascinating changes occur to private assets like real estate and other categories that traditionally didn't quite have that level of liquidity or potential or because they weren't at that scale on the public market. So this is, you know, to me, a very important segment that we did, Kyle. I think the only thing that I would like to add to, to what you said here is that this truly shows the value proposition of blockchain. Without blockchain technology, none of this would be possible because we need to be able to remove that concept of trust where we have an immutable programmatic system that we are able to track, that regulators are able to, to tap into, that investors and issuers are able to leverage for protection in the court of law, but ultimately is the digital version of what we do today. And it's only because of blockchain technology that this entire infrastructure can be developed and connected and function in the same regard that it does today on the public market world. So very, very exciting stuff, Kyle. Thank you for that great feedback. You know, I think we have plenty more segments we can do on the subject. We haven't even tapped into how you know dividends, for example, can now be simultaneously executed thanks to programmatic smart contracts, coupon distribution of debt uh, and things like that are now entirely done more efficiently and on-chain. And the fact that we can now tap into wider accesses of investors uh, in an even more globally connected world, what that might do to capital markets uh, is, is definitely an interesting topic in itself. So lots more stuff to be talking on the podcast. For those of you who are self-quarantining, we have 
34 other amazing episodes that we'd love for you to, to check out and listen to. Uh, and with that, you know, please always feel free to reach out. We are very active on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on our social medias. Give us feedback. Give us content. If you want to contribute to the show, you can go to stomarket.com slash news, or you can submit information or even comment on some of these articles that we're talking about and, and engage with the community. And uh, I think with that, I want to thank everyone for listening and, and wish everyone to be, be safe out there. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week.